Peace be upon you, and welcome to this week's edition to Pathway to Peace, a show which takes an analytical look at the current issues and trends affecting us all, trying to find the answers to problems that affect our political peace, economic peace, social peace, and perhaps the noblest of them all, inner peace. In an article published on the Guardian website on the 2nd of February 2023, entitled Some Weeks I Only Speak to the Postman, How to Escape Learned Loneliness. The article makes mention of the term friendship recession, after census data revealed that the Americans were spending an ever-decreasing amount of time with friends. This blame cannot solely be put down on the pandemic because the decline had been steady since 2014. A decade ago, people spent six and a half hours a week with close friends. But later on, uh, by 2023, that figure had almost plummeted to just two hours and 45 minutes. That's why this week's programme is titled It's Good to Talk, Tackling Loneliness. My name is Galeem Wanwar and I'm your host for today's programme. With me in the studio to attempt to, attempt to dissect this topic and its many encompassing issues is special guest presenter, who's no stranger to the Pathway to Peace show, Daniel Zia, whom you can listen to on Fridays on the Drive Time show from 4 to 6pm. So, Assalamualaikum, Daniel. Welcome to the show. Wa alaikum, assalam. Peace be with you, brother. Thank um, you. I'm, I'm grateful <laughs> that you're on the show. It's Happy a, to be here. It's a good uh, sort of a crossover from the Drive Time show. Awesome. Yes. Uh, onto, onto, this, uh, onto this segment. Um, so, as you may be aware, obviously on the Pathway to Peace show, we you know typically each week we look at a particular problem uh, and try to sort of break down, analyse that problem. What are, what are the causes? What are the effects? Right. The consequences? Um and then the second half of the show, we almost look at, so, so what is the Islamic perspective? You know, what remedy has been prescribed um, in a faith that was revealed, you know, more than 1,400 years ago? So this week, there was a, an article that caught my eye. Oh. I kind of made mention of it in the, intro, in the introduction. Yes. Uh, on the Guardian website. And I, I, what caught my eye, to be honest, I mean, I have it in front of me, what caught my eye was this sort of, this term known as friendship recession, which um, I'd never come across before, to be honest. And um, and there's some sort of some anecdotes from here, which I which I thought were really interesting. Um, and I'll, I'll read sort of snippets from here just to sort of just to set the scene, really. And it says the pandemic forced us to spend more time at home and reprioritize with whom we mixed. But statistically and anecdotally, it feels as if people's social landscapes have permanently changed. It then got, it quotes a YouGov 2021 friendship study, which reported that one in eight Britons across male or female, said that they had only one close friend, mm. while 7% had no friends at all. And then it's and it reported 51% said they struggled to make new friends. Um, which is, which is, it is sad to hear. And, and, but then I sometimes think, is it surprising? I, I don't, I mean, what's your take on that? I mean, you know, firstly, I have to say that yeah. uh, I have to admit my ignorance because as I was preparing for this show, yeah. um, I was absolutely astonished to see some of the numbers yeah. and to see, you know, what a pandemic level problem this is yeah. globally, not just in the UK, because yeah. I had no idea. And I also had didn't have any idea that the government actually has a strategy yeah. or, or supposedly has a strategy to deal with it, <laughs> which, is, which is something we'll come to in, in, a, in a minute. Exactly. Yeah. But just, uh, you know, just to um, uh, sort of reinforce the point that you were making earlier, um, you know, this Guardian article also talk. Well, by the way, there are many terms which were yeah. uh, an, an absolute revelation to me as well. So yeah. there's another term uh, which the article talks about, which was learned. Oh, yes. 
learned loneliness. <laughs> learned loneliness. Yes. So I mean, yes. uh, it, it's uh, it, this article in itself is uh, is, yeah. is a piece of education, yeah. um, and then it talks about. Um, you know, close friends and yeah. the time people spend with close friends. So yeah. in the US, they did a survey and until 2014, yeah. people were spending six, seven hours yeah. with close friends yeah. a week. And now by 2021, that survey said that the figure had plummeted to just two hours, 45 minutes on average. Yeah. So, you know, almost a third of the time that people used to spend with close friends in a in a week. So, yeah, one really wonders what's going on here. Exactly. I mean, there was um, another sort of, a, there was another anecdote they mentioned. They mentioned there was a psychologist, Marissa Franco, author of the book Platonic. And she believes that, she believes that many of us are socially adrift without even being aware of it. And, I th- and this is, and she mentions the term, the issue we are now seeing is something called learned loneliness. Um, people have adjusted to isolation. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and she she makes the point, it's not that, that we've sort of gone off socialising, it's rather that we've learned to live, so we've learned to live with it, essentially. Um, and I, I'm just, I thought she sort of throws into the mix here about, you know, humans, she kind of, she talks about sort of a vicious cycle. And, and I think she has a point. She says, she says, humans are not great at identifying emotions. For example, one symptom of loneliness is that you're in a bad mood for no reason at all. And this could explain the rise in abusive behaviour towards workers, uh, even family members. And she says, ironically, loneliness makes us withdraw and perceive other people as threatening. So shall we devalue how important connections are and we choose not to depend on other people, which makes us even more lonely. So it's sort of a dwindling spiral, basically, going downwards. Absolutely. And, you know, a couple of other things which were, um, again, a surprise for me. I always thought um, in my ignorance that uh, loneliness was a problem for the the, the elderly. Yeah. Um, mm. But, you know, if you look at the research that has been done, which I was uh, exposed to as a result yeah. of preparation, thanks to you yeah. for this particular show, um, they did a survey in the UK yeah. and they found out that this is actually a millennial problem. Yeah more than in any other age group. So 37% yeah. of respondents between aged 18 to 24 yeah. said that they were feeling more than more lonely than usual. And 15% said that they experienced feeling lonely a lot more than usual. Yeah. So, I mean, those they're really staggering numbers. Yeah. And, and you're right, it is then showing up in various ways in the society in yeah. terms of how people are behaving, how be- people are behaving between one another and the um, the, the rise of the temperature generally. Yeah. Uh, you know, this learned loneliness, the term that you used, um, also, you know, you, you mentioned that um, people have become used to this. It reminds me of another yeah. phrase that I, I read somewhere, yeah. that people have become comfortable yeah. with being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a good point. that's a good point, actually. And that, and that and there's a couple of things there. You're right. That is that is really sad. The fact that it's it typically was seen as sort of an um, some. I suppose as you get towards the latter ends of your of, of life, I almost saw. You know, I almost thought kind of life was almost looked at as a. How can I put it? A bit of a. I suppose like a pyramid in the sense when you're younger, school, college, university, work, or your first years of your work. It's sort of that base of the triangle. You feel like your your social circles are quite wide. Yeah. As you get older, they sort of become narrower and narrower and your sort of circles become cl- smaller and smaller. Or, or, so, or so, so some would have to believe. Um, 
But uh, but but I think now it feels like you're right with this sort of younger generation. It's almost like an inverted pyramid, or maybe not even an inverted pyramid. But the fact that they're starting off already anxious, or already yeah. sort of the circles are closing. Yeah. Um, and I, and I was going to say, is it sort of country specific? Because because I, I've I've always thought as well, rightfully or wrongfully, whether or not was this a sort of a, a, a UK specific problem. I'm only saying that. I think I'm saying that with ignorance, actually, because you, I've, I've kind of just been in London sort of all my life, and, and there's this sort of notion within London, but I think it's not just, it's probably a bit unfair saying it to London. It's probably, I think it's all the big cities across all the sort of Western sort of countries. That there's, there's very much a sort of a sense of you wouldn't really, if you saw someone on public transport and if they saw you, like you kind of had a glance, You'd think, hold on a minute. If 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 this gets a bit more, this this feels confrontational. So it, it feels very. How can I put it? Like we we have a barrier up. It feels like mm. within within the sort of cities. But I tell you what, this is not um, a UK problem. This yeah. is a glo- this is a pandemic mm. global problem. Mm. Um, I was reading an article from Statistica.com, right, and that quoted some gave some statistics of different countries. Yeah. So uh, from Brazil yeah. uh, to to Hungary. So yeah. Brazil, uh, the, the the number of people who felt lonely yeah. often yeah. always or some of the time yeah. was 50% yeah. as high as 50% yeah. and if you go right to the other spectrum which is uh, sort of one of the lowest numbers we have um, uh, in this particular chart that's Netherlands uh, where 15% said that they are often always or some of the time um, lonely and in the middle somewhere is um, uh, is United States where about 30% of the people said that they were some of the time yeah. lonely I was quite surprised by those stats, so you know, but yeah. the fact that Brazil was seen at the top, um, who, yeah, you're exactly what you'd mentioned, that sort of over over the fifty percent mark, essentially, who are often always sort of feeling lonely, and I and I actually thought sort of South America. I thought I actually thought they were, I don't know, the impression that we get is yeah, it's a very social, social miles away is that yeah, yeah. they they have a very yeah uh, leisurely lifestyle, yeah. but yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, there is one country, Sweden. Uh, which uh, surveyed uh, 25% of those surveyed said yeah. that they are often or some of the time yeah. lonely, which yeah. is uh, kind of understandable. Yeah. But then, um, you know, country like you're absolutely right, Japan and and Netherlands, I didn't expect those yeah. numbers to be as low. Poland was another surprise yeah, there, you know, that, 23%. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I was surprised by Netherlands, actually. Japan, I, you know, you hear this sort of the stereotype, maybe it's a very reserved nation. Maybe quite close. I don't, but yeah, I'm just. It is surprising. Um, it ju- it just shows the stereotypes that that exist, I guess. It, exactly, and and I, I, you know, the the immediate uh, thing that comes to mind is that suicide rate actually mm-hmm. in, in Japan is very high. Yeah, that's a good so point. you know that's another stereotype again on that's the other spectrum. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Interesting how so Great Britain pretty much falls right in the middle. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty, with thirty four percent. Yeah, yes. yeah. I was just thinking that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know why. I always thought maybe that's sort of a very narrow-minded view within London. There's all, almost a sort of a, which is a shame that even sort of talking to someone's neighbours, there just seems to be a sense of other than conversation that sort of just focusing around the weather, which seems to be the the go-to conversation within within the within London or UK. Um, yeah, it just it doesn't it just doesn't feel as social. But you know, and obviously when you I suppose when you do go outside of the cities. The more rural areas, I know. Certainly, when, on, on occasions when I've kind of been up north, 
there does seem to be a bit more. Um, I, don't want to, I was going to say the word friendly, but I think that's probably being giving London a bit of a disservice. But um, uh, yeah, maybe maybe it's just sort of a distinction between sort of the, the urban areas and rural areas. But I think I think the point you've mentioned that for sure there is a sort of a trend between the sort of the, the Gen Z sort of generation. Mm. They are starting to feel a bit more um, sort of isolated, and I'm wondering if. If technology is sort of the cause behind that. You, you know, you say that. It's very interesting. It, one of the links that you sent me earlier on to prepare for the show, this, so this is about uh, this uh, pet rock. So yeah. this is a phenomenon which uh, which came about in, in uh, you know, I guess 1975. Right. Uh, when somebody invented this and uh, became a millionaire as a result of this invention. It only lasted a year. Yeah. But um, what it was that, uh, you know, you you were given a rock yeah. and you actually adopted that rock and you made a pet out of it. <laughs> really? And and you, uh, you know, you would talk to the rock, yeah. you would uh, dress the rock, you, <laughs> you would do different things to the rock wow. and rock would become your companion. Gosh, and yeah. and that's as old as 1975, way, yeah. uh, uh, way earlier than even the personal computer was. I was just going to say, yeah, that sounds like <laughs> some sort of computer games, actually. Yeah, yeah, wow. But yeah, that's that's quite drastic, actually. I'm wondering who's what led them down that down that solution. Um, there have been other, so yeah, as part of the sort of research for this show, some various other links. Um, I've got the Psychology Today website. Hmm. Talked about why loneliness is on the rise. And so it says research suggests um, that loneliness is on the rise in many parts of the world, like, like we've been discussing. Um, best conceived as an unmet social need, which humans are fundamentally driven to to you know, you know to form relationships. Um, and so it, so it talks about exactly the sort of the the, the anecdote you mentioned about pet rock. Um, but I suppose it goes into look. I suppose it looks at. So what exactly, you know, what, what are the causes? I, I suppose it's quite easy to sort of blame the pandemic. Um, but I suppose now that sort of we're, we're out of the pandemic, I think for me, it feels as if the pandemic almost was a sort of bit of a cover. Hmm. And, I, and I'm wondering if those problems sort of pretty much existed before I, I, and I just heightened. Or? I don't know whether a cover or a trigger. Mm, yeah. You know, you yeah. can look at it either way. So I think it, it, it probably, um, I mean, looks like from these stats and from yeah. uh, the global nature of these stats that yeah. it was just probably a trigger of a, something which was already there under the surface and it just sort of uh, blasted out uh, into the open yeah. as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, there was a, there was a, another sort of source, uh, likewise from... Um, this was actually taken from. This is actually coming back to the point that you mentioned before. The government tried to sort of take mm. on this challenge. Um, this is actually yes. under the Theresa May uh, regime, and I mean, I, I was in two minds to be honest when I first found out about this. Um, I, I suppose we'll, we'll go to a bit more detail about the, the, the strategy itself. I'm just not. I'm not sure. And I, you know, I've got. I'm not. There's no political affiliation here to say whether who was right, who was wrong in terms of this, but. I'm surprised that the government took this on. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. I didn't think this was a, an area where the government gets involved. Yes, it seems Me a too. bit strange. Absolutely, and uh, you know, I, I totally agree with you. But when you look at these stats, mm. and when you look at the um, uh, the uh, the depth of the problem, yeah. I guess only then you realize that yeah, the government probably had to delve into it because you know we, we we're not just talking about the elderly here. Yeah. We're talking about millennials. 
which are the future generation, yeah. which are the future of this country. So I guess that that is what really uh, brought the government um, around yeah. to uh, providing solutions to this problem. And, and, and there are various things that the government, I think they came up with a three-pronged mm. strategy, really, yeah. which is around reducing stigma. Yeah. Then there is uh, driving a lasting shift, uh, which was the second uh, part, a second pillar of that strategy. And the third was playing our part in improving the evidence based on uh, loneliness. So those were the three sort of pillars on which the government strategy yeah. um, strategy paper was based. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, and I, I suppose fair play to them. They've, um, they've, they've you're right, they've they've spotted a sort of, a, there is, there is a, sorry, a, a need for this. Um, or there's certainly, there's a requirement to sort of, address this problem because you're right it's it's only going to get worse potentially and and we could be we, we as we go into detail uh, into the government plan and uh, some of the other things that uh, many of the charities are also doing you, uh, we will talk uh, about some of the numbers you know some odd, uh, amount of money that is actually going into this effort mm. and um, uh, you know that just uh, brought me to think that you know how um, how islam actually proposes how Islam naturally or organically proposes a solution yeah. Yeah. to the problem of loneliness, something which will come to yeah, for sure. in the second half of the show. Yeah, absolutely that. And I think, yeah, exactly that. And I think that's why I was surprised that it had to take sort of government intervention um, to sort of tackle this problem. And, and you're right. Does, is that the right way about it when maybe a more organic solution is, is required? I'm just looking at, for example, <clears throat> there was an update on the strategy uh, this was the Tackling Loneliness Annual Report of February 2022. So I'm wondering if we're due for another one. Um, so this was, yeah, pretty much published this around the, around about this time last year. It was the third year of the strategy. Um, and so, yeah, just sort of some highlights from their side. You know, they've they've published their Tackling Loneliness, Tackling Loneliness Network, TLN, mm. action plan, um, delivering... Four million pounds worth of local connections funds, um, continuing to support to take action through the tackle tackling loneliness hub, um, which seems which seems interesting, and researching more people than ever through our loneliness campaign activity. I can imagine one of the problems I think with trying to sort of um, sort of address the issue is in many you know many sort of industries you need the data to understand sort of almost analyze the problem. And I guess, you know, it, it, this, well, this is part of the strategy, really. There is a sort of a stigma attached to this. And it must be quite hard to try to kind of ascertain who is feeling lonely, if that makes sense. I'm wondering if people, I don't know if, once again, if it's a sort of a cultural problem, but I'm sure people would find it quite hard to admit that they're lonely, maybe. And that might be a problem. Which is why mental health is a problem. Mm. And mental health, uh, you know, even though it's considered to be a pandemic, is a problem. And only now, I think in the last sort of uh, few years, less, even less than a decade or so, that the problem is being uh, talked about more and more openly among yeah. teenagers, among youngsters, um, and among men in general yeah. as well, which is, you know, uh, one um, uh, w one area where, um, yeah. or, or agenda, which is generally not very, uh, prone to to talking about their feelings. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Um, on on the sort of tackling loneliness hub that was mentioned in this sort of annual report, and you can view this online tackling tackling uh, loneliness dot org. Uh, a community for professionals working on loneliness. So for those who are interested in that area, the, the tackling loneliness hub enables members to connect with others, working to reduce loneliness, 
share the latest research and insight on what works, attend exclusive events and workshops, ask questions in a safe and supportive space, and collaborate on new initiatives. Um, it's a, a membership of the Tackling Loneliness Hub is open to all professionals in England who are working on loneliness. So that might be of interest um, to some of our listeners who may not be aware of that area. Um, right. There was... Um, Sorry, don't Yeah, so yeah. It, one more thing that the report actually talks about is volunteering. Yes. Volunteering, uh, according to the report, can build social connections and support well-being. Um, it is about connecting with your purpose. I mean, when you help others, uh, you you automatically are actually helping yourself as well. Yeah. Um, so in November, government launched a 7 million fund with the Arts Council England right. and PS Foundation, NHS charities together to help people access more volunteering opportunities yeah. across a range of sectors, including the arts and the sport. Yeah. And again, you know, this is something that uh, a theme which we'll come back to when we talk about the Islamic um, perspective. Yeah, yeah. I guess sort of rounding up this segment then is just looking at what what, what charities, what they have been doing, what, so what actual help has been offered out to people. On the, the MIND website, mind.org.uk, mm-hmm. there's a, a dedicated page to, to, to you know, dealing with loneliness, essentially. Um, and they've got a few, a few sort of suggestions. Um, they mentioned, for example, uh, making new connections, um, which... I suppose it comes back to that there's a theme, and I think we're going to probably come back to this theme even in the second half of the show, around volunteering. Yeah. You mentioned volunteering sort of as a, as a way of sort of helping. Um, as, it sa- as it says on the tin, basically, you, as, as part of volunteering, you naturally be meeting new people. But I, I think what's, what's key there is that when you're volunteering for, for a particular cause, whatever that cause may be, you'll be meeting people of a similar sort of mindset. Mm. So... You can see the sort of benefits of that. You know, the other thing also, Kaleem, is that you feel lonely when you um, you are rudderless. Yes. When you don't know what to do and how best to spend your time. Yeah. When you're volunteering, you are almost connecting with your purpose. Yeah. yeah. And and you're trying to do something purposeful. You're trying to help somebody. And, and that in itself... Yeah gives you um, all the good hormones yeah. that I don't know the names of. No, you're right. I, I, know, I, I know exactly what you mean. You're right. There's, there's, also, there's almost something physiological about that. Yeah, 100%. Um, which, is, which is interesting, isn't it? The fact that there's something innate about us that if we... Hmm. People may feel that we're very busy and so because we're very busy, we don't have the time to volunteer or do other things for the service of others. And yet that becomes its own problem. Mm. It, it, almost, it almost fosters a problem. And, well, one of those sort of problems is, is, is loneliness. Um, other, sort of, other sort of aspects that have been mentioned uh, on the MIND website is um, try peer support. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if that's sort of, yeah, connecting with, yeah, sort of the like-minded individuals. Um, you know, it's interesting how, coming back to this original Guardian article, they they mentioned something really interesting actually. There was a suggestion there about avoid going to one-off events, hoping to instantly instantly make new connections. Mm. A mistake people is that they will go to one networking event, um, but in, but in order to make new friends, we need. To, they, it makes the point here. But in order to make new friends, we need to capitalize on what psychologists term mere exposure. Our tendency to like people is the more we see them. And that's a really interesting point, actually. Um, that there's a lot of pressure, actually. If you're told, many think. I think we. It's quite easy, I think, for us to sort of have this sort of silver bullet 
remedy solution where and in this in this particular case and networking is a prime example many a time you know if you think yeah if i go to that one one function you know one one do that yeah as, as if that will solve solve the problem but i but the fact that you're right the people we don't really think about the people that we sort of on a day-to-day basis maybe um that we sort of see but never really reach out and but i'm wondering if that comes back to this sort of shyness this sort of london centric i keep i keep putting it back to london don't i which is a bit unfair. I, again i think I, again i think it's the issue of not even um I, I don't think you need to go to a networking event yeah to to uh, to be able to be happy or to find a cure for loneliness yeah. when that might uh, very much be um the solution might very well be just going and knocking on your neighbor's door mm-hmm. it's true and um and finding out who that person is and probably just taking a you know a box of uh, cookies yeah. or chocolates yeah. and and having a chat yeah. uh, just standing on the door this is it and uh, and and again you know we'll circle back to this point and how important that is within the islamic system yeah. within the islamic way of life and um that will underscore the importance of this but yeah absolutely you don't need to join a, an expensive yeah. networking <laughs> event to be to find a cure for loneliness exactly exactly and in fact this article that sort of the show sort of stems from sort of it made it made it sort of made a joke but i i think there probably was a serious element to it as well that the person who was sort of feeling loneliness said that they reached out to their postman basically uh, and they made a joke that they prayed that there wouldn't be another royal mail strike because that would mean they would have contact with their <laughs> postman which is which is really unfortunate um i'll i'll take one more th- sort of angle on this mind website which is interesting it says be careful when comparing yourself to others mm-hmm. and so it says it's very hard to stop comparing ourselves to others we all do it but it can help just to be aware that things are not all as what they seem from the outside and i think this is this really does come back to the point uh, that you made earlier around the sort of the gen the gen z sort of you know situation maybe that is why they they they're feeling an ever more sense of isolation because you when you're seeing when you're seeing online on sort of instagram and other yeah. you know facebook and all and all the other social networks and you're seeing what you perceive are your sort mm. of friends at school college university work they're having all these sort of large groups. In fact, I actually overheard a conversation the other day, which really surprised me. And it was it was one person talking to another, twenty years younger than me, and um, and they they were they were almost comparing or remarking on the fact of how many WhatsApp groups they were in or sort of a member <laughs> of, and that was almost the the the, the litmus test for being popular. Yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah, and I. That was quite unfortunate. Yeah, to see, absolutely. Actually. Well, it is unfortunately that is the the yardstick that the society chooses: how many followers you have on Instagram, yeah. how many friends you have on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, which really, you know, you don't even know what uh, who those friends actually are. You've never met them, but they are your online yeah. so-called friends in inverted commas, and um, yeah. uh, that's it. No, exactly, exactly. Um, we're going to take a short break, but after in part two, we're going to be looking at more specifically what are the Islamic solutions to dealing with loneliness and what remedies have been prescribed in the Holy Quran. Join us after the break. A new station, the Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion, and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the Voice of Islam. What is peace? 
Is it the simplicities in life or something exquisite? To some, it is vague. To some, explicit. To wake in a world wishing peace would just visit. A deafening society wishing someone would just listen. Is it higher power that will bring this world new navigation? Or is it acts of kindness that will refresh our imagination? I see powerless minds in search for reconciliation, who vote for justified masterminds who need no persuasion. Freedom of speech may be a thing of the past. Society pressures have us thinking, Why we even ask? We've been silenced because of the colour of our skin. We've begun to believe that believing in God is a sin. What is peace? We ask today. A way of life. A feeling. Long way away. Who have we wronged to deserve this rubble? Who did we question? Who gave us this trouble? We have no shelter. We have no peace. With the one thing we had, it brought us to streets. Caught in selfish acts, money, power and greed. Who needs food when we no longer have children to feed? Where is the justice? Where is our say? Peace is what we ask for. Yet, there is more blood to pay. A new term in power. A video game for the fearless kind. A new six-figure salary. Who has a new house in mind? We are asked today, what is that you preach? Please look in our eyes. No need to question beliefs. You fear one religious mind could change the world. Fearless in thinking one bomb. And problem solved? Please, justify the injustice. Stand up from your seat. We are not asking for much. We just ask justice for peace. Peace be upon you. I'd like to talk about something that I think is quite common. That being feelings of emptiness or a sense of disconnection that doesn't necessarily fall into the medical definition of depression or other pathologies. Although personally, I do think it can be related to conditions like that quite intimately for some people. A lot of people feel an underlying sense of disconnection, which can manifest in many different ways. Feelings of emptiness or loneliness even when we aren't alone, a terrible inability to be alone with our own thoughts, an overwhelming fear of death or feelings of nihilism. This feeling of disconnection has been attributed to a whole myriad of things. The breakdown of the typical nuclear family, isolation from nature and each other, and even growing economic inequality. And while I think all of these things might contribute to or exacerbate the situation, my own personal opinion is that the causative reason for our feeling of disconnection is that we've abandoned a key part of what makes us human, our spirituality, our practices of prayer and contemplation, and an understanding that there is a reality that is not accessible to our material, everyday senses, that can only be accessed through spiritual practices, but are nevertheless as essential to us as our physical food is to our bodies. After all, the common thread that links immersion in nature or connection with other people is an attempt to fulfill the need to unify ourselves, or at least to feel intimately connected with something greater, something that is transcendent, essential, unchanging, beautiful, nourishing. Almost every human culture of the past seemed to understand this to some degree or another. So it's actually quite remarkable that our now global culture has by and large abandoned any notion of these ideas or practices as valid. Historically, there are a lot of reasons for this that are maybe for another day. But I will say that we're now feeling the negative consequences of the attitude that stems from dismissive, closed-minded materialism. A lot of people attempt to medicate their internal sense of disconnection with anything that will placate their inner disquiet, 
anything that can partially replicate the feeling of connection for a short period of time. Such measures often include avoiding being alone, using work, friendships, relationships, sex or even drugs as a kind of stopgap to fill that void. In my personal opinion, while these things might work in the short term, they don't get to the root of the problem. And this means that all of these activities are driven by a need to be made whole, instead of out of a choice to add to an internal state that already feels whole. When the stopgap measures, for whatever reason, are no longer available, the feeling of disconnection returns, often worse than before. So I want to be very clear about what I believe and have experienced is the root cause of all this and what is the attendant cure. In my opinion and personal experience, the ultimate root cause of this is the elimination of spirituality and spiritual practices, especially regular prayer, from human life. The function of prayer is to disconnect from the continuous external stimulus that we receive for a brief time and to attempt to connect ourselves with the higher power, God or Allah. Indeed, to my mind, the mere fact that human beings feel such constant yet varied inner discomfort when we abandon this practice is proof enough that it's something many are in need of. Some of you watching now will agree or have had similar experiences yourselves. Others are going to be more skeptical. To those who ask specifically how one should pray, the answer is that prayer ultimately is varied and personal. But all effective prayer has, throughout human history, been noted to have some common traits, namely that it is addressed directly to God and not through any intermediary, that it is heartfelt as much as is possible, and that it's regular. On this point, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, wrote, He who supplicates with the sincerity of his soul is never truly frustrated. That prosperity which cannot be achieved through riches and authority and health, but which is in the hand of God, and he bestows it in whatever shape he wills, is bestowed through perfect prayer. I'm personally confident that anyone, no matter their past, who engages in this practice persistently, say on a daily basis, even for a few minutes, and keeps an open heart and mind, will find that their internal state and their experience of living changes dramatically for the better. The feelings of disconnection and internal isolation that they may have felt previously morph into the opposite, feelings of peace, harmony, connectedness. To those who are skeptical, or those who are agnostic, I would simply remind them that a truly rational skeptic puts even those ideas and theories that they are most skeptical about to a deliberate and honest test, and that if the purported benefits of a practice are truly that extraordinary, then that at least is evidently worth trying. You may be pleasantly surprised as to what you experience and find. In summary, I'd like to leave you with a few Quranic verses that crystallize what I've spoken about. And when my servants ask thee about me, say, I am near. I answer the prayer of the supplicant when he prays to me, so they should hearken to me and believe in me that they may follow the right way. Therefore remember me, and I will remember you, and be thankful to me, and do not be ungrateful to me, and seek help with patience and prayer, and this indeed is hard except for the humble in spirit. Aye, it is in the remembrance of Allah that hearts can find comfort. Peace be upon you. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. Welcome back to Pathway to Peace, where this week we're joined by special guest and drive time presenter Daniel Zia. The problem addressed this week is on tackling loneliness. But what are the Islamic perspectives or remedies to tackling loneliness? So I think, Daniel, you'd already mentioned in the first mm. half um, how, for example, volunteering, for example, d yes. gives you exposure to sort of a wider group of people. Things like this, it, it's almost ingrained within Islam, mm. is it not? That 
you know, giving our sort of time services to others, it's it's part and parcel of of what we're about. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, why to go far? Let's talk about uh, the radio channel that we are actually uh, speaking from. So yeah. Both you and I are volunteers. We don't get paid for this. Yeah. Uh, this channel, The Voice of Islam, is run by over 300 volunteers. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, there is this huge emphasis within Islam, as you said, and, and, and therefore within the community um, of volunteering. Uh, just to give you another example, um, volunteers every year, Ahmadi Muslim Elders Association's volunteers every year stand across train stations and streets all across the country to collect money uh, from the poppy appeal. Mm-hmm. And millions of pounds worth of money is, is collected as a result of those efforts. Um, and I can go on. There's so many examples within the Youth Association, within, I, you know, another example that immediately comes to mind is um, that of the Women's Association, mm. which has planted 100,000 trees yeah. because it's their 100-year it's their um, anniversary um, mm. this year. So as, as part of their anniversary celebrations, they decided to give back to the society and what better way to give back to the society than uh, plant 100,000 trees by the Women Association themselves. Yeah, and, uh, I, just, I to, just a few examples I, there. I totally agree. And, you know, I sort of mentioned in the, for the first half of the show that sometimes it feels like people may feel... Um, I gave this sort of analogy of a... Of a um, how can I say? Sort of a pyramid where maybe at the early years of your life, school, college, university... You may think you have sort of have a you, that's where the, the 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 time where you'd have a maximum group of friends, or, or sort of friendship circles, and sort of it narrows as you sort of age. But I think interestingly enough, as as a sort of as part of the Amelia Muslim community, hmm. I, I would almost say it's sort of the flip side of that. Where maybe when you're younger, you're sort of you may have some smaller groups, but in fact, as you grow older, you're right. As you're exposed to different sort of parts of the community, the different volunteering opportunities. Um, you're right. Your circle sort of grow and grow to the point that you're sort of you're, you're you're conversing with people from other parts of the country you've never had an opportunity of seeing before. You know, if you just look at the Islamic way of system, yeah. an Islamic society, the center of any Islamic society uh, or any local society is the local mosque, mm. and you required um, uh, as part of um, an active member of that society to attend that mosque five times a day. Now, that alone is such a great recipe for loneliness because, you know, when you get out of the house, you feel better anyways, and then you come to the mosque, you're required to come to the mosque, you're required to come to the mosque to attend the the Friday prayers as well, and then you meet people, and and, and not only that, that you're you're able to meet others, you're able to talk about your problems and issues. And yeah. there's plenty of support available. So, you know, there, there's so many inherent solutions that are available. To, are, are, you know, this particular studio is situated within the largest mosque in Western Europe, Beit al-Futu Mosque. Yeah. And this mosque is actually a complex. Mosque is supposed to be a hub of activity. Yeah. It's not just, uh, you know, there for prayers. Yeah. This particular mosque uh, has um, um, a radio station. Yeah. It has a television station studios. It has a multi-purpose hall, which is available to the entire local community to be used yeah. for games, for conferences, for student exams, yeah. um, and all sorts of other activities, and obviously for prayers and um, and other things as well. Yeah, and that just that in some ways that sort of proves the principle that was mentioned in the first half of the show. They talked about there were some some sort of academics had said it's not so much about going off to the one-off event 
the one of networking event mm. to make friends, but rather mm. it's almost a sort of the the regularity with which you meet yeah. people, and you and, and you may not normally sort of go up to them. But the mosque provides that as a platform, doesn't it? Absolutely, hundred percent. You know, if it's it's a familiar environment, you 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 come to that environment, and and that familiarity gives you, um, you know, gives you those good hormones um, naturally, and yeah. and then um, as we discussed before, you know, you're able to meet people, like-minded people, yeah. people of your age, young, old, and uh, that alone gives you. I mean, it's 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 not just a. Um, to give you a very crude example, it's 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 not a it's not a you know once a week yeah. uh, you know church service. This yeah. is something that you're required to do five times a day. Yeah, and I guess this, I mean, I'm, I'm, and why is this? I guess this origins the origins of all of this, this sort of um, this approach to life. I guess it, for me, there's a there's a a really a, a pivotal verse in the Holy Quran, um, which if I read the translation from it, sort of sets the almost gives this sort of all-encompassing sort of remedy to, to this problem that we're, that we're discussing. It comes from chapter 4, verse 37, uh, and the translation re- reads as, and worship God and associate nothing with him and show kindness to parents and to the children and to the orphans and to the needy and to the neighbor who is a kinsman and to the neighbor who is a stranger and uh, the companion by your side and the, and the wayfarer, the traveler, and those whom your right hands possess. Surely God does not uh, love an arrogant uh, or the boastful. So various, various categories there. Hmm. And and I suppose when you look at that... It doesn't leave anybody else. I was just going to say, there's no <laughs> one that's been left out there. There's not one section of society, um, be it the old, the elderly, the, the young, people that live in that sort of vicinity of it, or, or who have come from outside, Um I mean the fact the fact that it sort of even says you know that at one point it says and and, and the neighbour who is a stranger, yeah. you know, um, or 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 in, or in the wayfarers as well, the travellers as well. There's just there's no room for. Um, I mean, if, if one was to sort of plot that, you know, thinking back of school days, kind of maths lessons, if one was to plot sort of the, the Venn diagram, there's just no one that's sort of left out. And I feel as if that's all, that is our that's the basis from which we sort of come from. Yes, because the word neighbour in use in Islam. Um, it, uh, has a very wider meaning. Yeah. So uh, a neighbor is not just somebody who is living to your right and left and uh, in the front of your house. Neighbor is somebody, so if you're walking on the street, yeah. neighbor is somebody who's walking with you on that street. Yeah. Uh, if you're on the train, a neighbor is somebody who is actually traveling with you on the train. Yeah. So it is a very, and if you're a country, neighbor is, uh, your neighbors would be, you know, the the countries which are around you and therefore it's your responsibility yeah. to, to support those countries. Yeah. Um, let me read out um, a small quotation yeah. uh, from the fifth head or the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mr. Masroor Ahmad. He said um, this during a meal he served to the neighbors uh, of the Fazl Mosque uh, where he used to live before. Um, he said, and I quote, if a person understands the true meaning of what constitutes as a neighbor and then they try to fulfill the rights of their neighbors, you will see that disorder will disappear from society and for a believer, a true occasion of Eid is that in which all disorder is lifted away from the world. Who is one's neighbor? The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has said that people living within a radius of hundred, hundred coasts are your neighbors. So even those living within a hundred miles are in fact one's neighbors. Under this definition, 
no one is outside the scope of being one's neighbor, unquote. When you think about that event, um, the fact that this is the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community who, in that particular event that you've just taken the quote from, it wasn't so much addressed that, for example, the VIP, the dignitaries, the local, you know, the, you know, the, the sort of the, how can I say, the bourgeoisie of society. Exactly. These were neighbours. These were yeah, literal neighbours to the mosque. Absolutely, yeah. Which is, I mean, I don't know if the neighbours sort of appreciated or understood the sort of the, the, the stature um, of His Holiness, but the fact that that was just, you know, the proof that was right there, how the important, such as the, how can I say, the importance of treating your neighbours well. Um, there was an interesting... Um, Obviously, many, many hadiths, the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of God be upon him. It's one that just comes to mind because now that we're talking about sort of neighbors, is sort of this incident where um, where the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was sort of remarking about t- taking care of one's neighbors, hmm. and then to, to to the point that, for example, uh, there's a comp- the uh, the companion that was sort of you know narrating this incident, sort of mentioned that that the Prophet was sort of stressing the sort of the need of taking care of, of, of the neighbours so much yeah. at one point he thought maybe they would be included in including sort of the, the, the laws of inheritance inheritance exactly which is just incredible which is mind-boggling yeah. staggering absolutely and that just yeah. just goes to show the importance Islam places on peace in the society yeah on establishing a good brotherly relationship with, with anybody who's around you, irrespective of the caste, creed, faith, um, or color. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, one more narration yeah. that uh, I have here from the Holy Prophet of Islam, may peace and blessings of um, Allah be upon him. He said, He who believes in Allah and the last day must not put his neighbor to inconvenience. He who believes in Allah and the last day must honor his guest and he who believes in Allah and the last day must speak beneficially or keep quiet. So again, you know, some very basic rules of of um, uh, of maintaining peace and order in the society, as well as maintaining, you know, good brotherly relationships between people, between people of all sorts of uh, backgrounds, um, which uh, I dare say is a great solution to loneliness as well. Uh, you know, this is it. I think... You know, people don't realise, I guess, the sort of how Islam, the social etiquettes, I think, that it sort of prescribes or lays down. And and it's, it's just an irony that people don't see it. People may, from an outside point of view, may feel may feel like, oh, but it's, you know, it's a very prescriptive faith. or, But it's sort of, it's providing these sort of remedies and it's, and it's for one to choose or not choose. But the fact that... Um, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, you've mentioned, for example, the, the, the stressing the, the importance of looking after one's neighbours. So fine, so, so we do that. But, it, but there are various sayings, prophetic sayings that sort of talks about. So, so what are the rules of engagement, for example? And there's, a, there's a particular saying of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, where he says, if you, if you wish to mention the faults of your friend, mention your own faults first. Hmm. So it just, it, it gives the sort of, it, it explains that fine, it's all well and good, sort of, you know. Keeping you know keeping contact with various people, but it sort of it, it lets you know that there's just no mm. point sort of gossiping or just you know sort of you could meet, but if you're meeting sort of from for, for for negative reasons, I think that's what I'm trying to get at. You know, it reminds me of the verse of the Holy Quran actually, which yeah. actually talks about um, um, uh, if you um, if you backbite, yeah. you're actually that's akin to eating the flesh of your brother. Yeah. Those are the very words of the verse of uh, of the Holy Quran. Exactly, and I, exactly that. I think that's 
it's these sort of social etiquettes which which is a shame really it feels as it feels as if the, the you know that's what's missing sometimes um and 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 if people sort of kind of connected connected back to sort of what 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 brotherhood or you know sort of sisterhood what family is like in society then they would sort of relate um and the, yeah i mean when you hear we take it we take it to the most basic of things you know the fact of in islam it's seen as even a smile towards a sort of a stranger is seen as a, as an act of charity it is an act of charity absolutely a, a couple of other things that i think must be mentioned here so yeah. um uh, you know when when people uh, criticize islam and 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 say that uh, you know it is a prescriptive faith well it's it's actually a way of life mm. islam is not just a faith it is actually a way of life and it reminds me again of um uh, one of the narrations of uh, the holy prophet of islam uh, we you were talking earlier about you know this um uh, uh, the 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 pandemic of depression in the in the millennial millennial especially mm-hmm. because of you know social media you go to instagram and you see somebody who ha- apparently has a picture per- perfect life yeah. um what's happening behind the scenes only god knows yeah. uh, so the narration uh, that comes to mind is that you always compare yourselves yeah. with people who are below you yeah rather than people who are above you and if you make that a way of your life if you if you adopt that way of thinking yeah you will never be lonely you will never be upset i mean that's yeah that you could almost do a show <laughs> just just on that one saying actually because it's sort of all aspects of sort of you know the theme of around achieving sort of economic peace that yeah. plays sort of a, a really major part in that um certainly in sort of you know western world and i'm sure the world over there very much is this notion or particularly in the uk they're sort of keeping up with the joneses as they yeah. say yeah. um and so it's uh yeah there's a there's, there's a lot that can be learned from there um well only for time reasons i'm afraid uh, we're going to draw to a close but before we do here's a saying of the founder of the amdia muslim community hazrat mirza ghulam ahmed who sums up the overarching solution to the problem of loneliness in society He says, "My way of life is such that he who becomes a friend of mine might change anyway, but I do not cut myself off from him. Of course, if he cuts himself off, I can do nothing about it. If a friend of mine drinks and gets intoxicated and falls down in the marketplace, and there is a crowd of people around him, I will not fear anyone as to what they may say, and I will carry him away from there. The pledge of friendship is a great thing, and it should not be broken for no good reason." However unpleasant might be something that a friend does it should be overlooked and borne with forbearance. Well, that's it for this week's edition of Pathway to Peace. We're back same time next week. I've been your host Kaleem Anwar. A big thank you to my co-presenter Daniel Zia. You can comment on today's program through Twitter by tweeting @voiceofislamuk. Peace be upon you.